Good morning. Please stand. Lord, as we enter this season of Lent, I pray that your presence would just fall down on this place, Lord, and fill these hearts with joy, love. Pray that as we enter into your presence, we'll break the chain.
the beginning of our Lenten season. It began on Ash Wednesday, the imposition of ashes. And I hope you take this uh, season, this time, to really um, work on yourself with the Lord. He's really willing and really able, and we're really able too. So we want to be willing. Bless the Lord who forgives our sins. His mercy endures forever. Almighty God, you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. As we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Please, Neil. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord grant you absolution, remission of all your sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of his Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Thank you. 
Almighty God, whose blessed Son was led by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan, come quickly to help us who are assaulted by many temptations. And as you know the weaknesses of each of us, let each one find you mighty to save. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our first reading today comes from Genesis chapter 9, beginning in verse 8. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. 
Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the clouds, and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the clouds, and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the clouds, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand. Read this, psalm. this morning's psalm is Psalm 25. We'll read responding by the asterisk. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindnesses. They are Do not remember the sins of my youth nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me, for your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he teaches sinners in the way. The humble he guides in justice. In the humble he teaches his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. To such as keep his covenant and his testimony. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, it is now, and will be forever. Amen. This morning's second reading comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, commencing. For Christ also suffered, what suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There's also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark. St. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered to him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, Lord Christ. You may be seated. Let's open with a word of prayer. Lord, I pray that as we enter into this season of Lent, and as I share the words that you've given me this morning, I just pray that you would make a way. Lord, I pray that you would make a way in the wilderness. I pray that you would make a spring in the dry places. And I pray that you would transform the areas of our heart that we feel are dead and dying And through this season that you would bring it to flourishing, Father. And I pray that as I share these words today that you would open our ears to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm excited to be preaching with you guys this morning. Like, I was thinking about it when I was looking at my notes, and something came over me, and I was like, God himself has something he wants to say to his people, and I get to be a part of that. Sometimes I come up and it just feels hard to preach, maybe because I don't feel prepared or maybe because I, I, I just think, man, it's so difficult to communicate the thoughts that I feel like I have. Whatever it is, sometimes it's hard to get up there and preach. But this morning on Lent, our most solemn of seasons, I want you to know that the joy of the Lord is our strength. That there is something that God wants to say to us. And that because I know that, I'm excited to be a part of it. We sometimes forget who our God is. Day in and day out, we go through our lives and things happen to us. Things test us and we forget who he is. And even this morning as I was putting this sermon together and I was looking over my notes, I was getting to this point where I was feeling like, I just, I don't know if I can get through this. And that's when the button clicked. That's when the thing switched in my head where it was like, wait a second, wait a second. Don't you know that what you're doing is talking to my people? That's what God wanted to say. It's like what we do when we come here is we meet God, the Lord. It's not about how perfect I am, how perfect my notes are. It's not even about how perfect the worship is, as awesome as it is. It's about meeting God the Lord. So if I have one hope, it's that God would speak to us this morning. And I want you to know that he wants to encourage us this morning. He wants us to draw closer to him. As Father Powell said on Ash Wednesday, he wants us to take a vacation from fear. And I'll add that the destination is trust. 
And hopefully by taking this 40-day vacation from fear with our destination being trust, hopefully we can find a way to make that our permanent residence. That's what we do when we choose to draw closer to God, as we choose to replace fear with trust. So when we talk about Lent, let it not be a list of things you have to do or pleasures you have to forego. Let it be about coming nearer to the God of our salvation. So the framework for Lent has always been the temptation of Jesus in the desert, the 40 days where he fasted at the beginning of his ministry. And so we're going to go over that in a little more detail than we did in the gospel reading today. The gospel of Mark is all about speed. Immediately this happened and immediately that happened. And so he doesn't dwell on the temptations. He just says it happens. And he explains that the point was he was being ministered to by the angels. He was overcoming temptation. Now let's launch into Jesus's ministry. And that's awesome. But we're going to hang out instead with Matthew, who takes a little more leisurely stroll. And he kind of opens up to us what is really happening to Jesus in those 40 days where he's fasting in the wilderness. And you've probably heard this story a hundred times, but I hope that you just pay attention this morning because I think that there's not many stories in the gospels that are more encouraging than the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. And I'll explain why as we go along. First, we'll start in Matthew chapter four, verse one. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So what just happened? If you look at our icon over here, you can see the Holy Spirit came down on Jesus in his baptism. And God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's like the God of the universe. Imagine we were watching a documentary on the royal family on Netflix. There's some documentary that came out. And they were talking about announcing like the next born royal son. And there was all this joy and jubilation. And people were celebrating. And reporters and people around the world were talking about the birth of a royal son. That's the type of proclamation we get over Jesus in the most unlikely of places, in the baptism in the River Jordan by John the baptizer. And instead of celebration, what does the Spirit do? Because God's kingdom's a little different than ours. The kingdom, instead of letting him revel in his glory, I'm the Son of God. Instead of that, he immediately, Mark tells us, drives him into the wilderness. I love that phrasing, right? And here it says he was led by the Spirit. Mark gets right to it. He says, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. I think that resonates with us. I think we've been there. I think we know what it means to be driven into the wilderness. And so the first thing I want you to know, the first challenge of trust this morning, is to follow where the Spirit leads, even if he leads you into the wilderness, to be tempted, or another word for that uh, Greek word there is tested by the devil. It reminds me of a C.S. Lewis quote that it just strikes me every time I read it. It says, we are not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We're wondering how painful the best will be, right? We don't necessarily think God doesn't have our best in mind, but we're wondering how much pain and suffering is included in that. We are fickle in our attention sometimes. We would rather run to the easy pleasures than the glory that's set before us in God. But I want you to challenge you to trust God as he drives you into the wilderness this Lenten season. One thing this shows us, though, is that Jesus himself, the Superman, the, the one that we think of as perfect and holy and great, he's all those things, but he also was man. 
and he was able to be tempted. I don't know how that works. I don't think anybody does. But in some way, he was tempted. And let me prove it to you. In Hebrews, we read, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So when I'm talking about Lent being a time not necessarily of just giving up good things and taking on disciplines, it's really the point is let us with confidence draw near and receive grace to help in our time of need. Why? Because Jesus knows. The other day we were changing our newborn baby, Reese, and we were changing his diaper. And Rowan, he was crying, right? He's a newborn. He doesn't really love that. And Rowan comes over and he goes, I know, Reese. I know, Reese. Because that's what we say to Reese. We're like, I know. It's so hard, Reese. Like, we kind of encourage him. We're saying all that. And, but why is that the comforting phrase? I know. Because that's what Jesus can say to us when we run to him in our distress. He can really say, I know, I hear you. It's not an outside observer. It's not a distant God. It's someone who entered into the flesh, who entered into our weakness and our humanity. And when we come to him in our despair, when we come to him in our pain, somehow we can hold on to the fact that he knows. And maybe that is what Jesus says when you come to him. He says, I know. And then he embraces us with his forgiveness and his love. And he empowers us to walk out of that place of despair, of sin, of darkness, of pain. Because Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, we can have confidence to approach and receive that type of love and grace. So I just want to say, I'm not going to go into this too much, but I want to challenge you, go to confession this Lent. At some point in time, we will have posted confession hours. We'll get that out to you so you know. But if we, if you just want to schedule a time, talk to any of our priests. We've got Father Conkle, Father Lewis. We've got Father Ed. We've got Bishop. We've got people here. And the joy of confession is that at the end, the, the priest says, basically, God knows your sin, and yet you are cleansed and forgiven. And hearing that in the sacrament of reconciliation, the sacrament of confession, changes the game. I've noticed that in my life. Sometimes we think God loves us because he doesn't know us. If only people knew how much of a lazy or insignificant or terrible or no good person I am, then they would reject me. But I want you to know today, God knows. And yet, He loves you, and he pushes towards you, not away from you, okay? So this Lent, keep that in mind as we talk about these things. So after fasting 40 days and nights, he was hungry, which seems like the understatement of the century, right? It's like he hasn't eaten for 40 days. He was hungry. Yeah, okay, I get it. It makes sense. I go without a meal, and I'm starving and probably miserable to be around. So at that moment, the reason they're pointing this out, it's like when you're in that moment, that's when the enemy comes and he wants to tempt you. There's an acronym that I learned, HALT. Actually, there's another word for it because it actually spells a word. But it's an acronym, but it's also another thing. But it's HALT, and it means hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And basically, the context that I learned this in is when you're having a a difficult conversation with somebody, especially, let's say, your spouse, 
Halt if you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Stop. Assess. Have a snack. Then continue the conversation. Right? I'll tell you, it works. We've been there. I've done that. It works. Just stop. Admit where you're at. Notice where you're at. And change the direction. And I say that because there's so many times in our life where we do those things. Maybe there's that thing that you do. Let's say road rage, right? Maybe there's that thing that you do. And like all day, somebody cuts you off. You're like, God bless them. You're working on it. You're like, oh, Jesus, it's Lent. You know, I'm going to be so holy. But then you're at the end of your 12-hour shift and you didn't get your lunch break and you're just going home and, you know, you had a conversation with your wife and something didn't happen and so you're angry and so you're feeling these things. You're hungry. You're angry. You're lonely because you've been in a truck all day. You're tired. And then somebody cuts you off. That's the moment when the temptation really comes, right? That's the moment where you have to halt, take stock, realize, ask God for help because the greatest promise that we get is that we have the Holy Spirit in us who can help us in our weakness, right? In a moment, you can stop and realize, oh, this is where I'm at. Help. Halt. <laughs> so moving on, the tempter's coming. He's had his moment of weakness. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. First of all, let's clarify something. I always like to point this out when we talk about the temptations. The devil did not come with horns and a tail and a pitchfork. And approach Jesus and say, listen to me. I think all of us know that he probably would have been like, okay, I see what you're doing. I don't, you don't look trustworthy to me, right? That's not what the devil did. I posit that these temptations were in the mind of Jesus, just like our temptations are in our own minds, right? I posit that Jesus had a thought. Well, if God just gave me this mandate, this uh, identity as the son of God, and I'm hungry, and I'm at the end of my... I could just turn these stones into bread. And yet he recognized that that was from the devil. So there's something here that we could learn that some of our thoughts are not good thoughts. We don't have to listen to them. We can recognize that's not from God. That's not a good way to go. So here Jesus is being tempted to fulfill the physical craving, and inherent in this challenge is the question, can God provide can god provide in my moment of weakness because there's this challenge in there it's like well if god really loves me then i could do this thing or god would provide bread for me when i need it and in there too it's which master will you serve your hunger or god the lord so how does jesus respond he says it is written man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So he's responding to himself and encouraging himself with scripture. And he's saying, the whole point for me to be fasting, right? Why, am, why is Jesus even fasting? To hear the voice of the Lord, to prepare for ministry. And yet he's being tempted to go after a lesser good, to go after something that might satisfy in the moment, but isn't the point, isn't where God's leading him. There's a temptation for us, especially in this day and age, to go after the easy food, to go after the things that we have. We are in one of the most prosperous societies in the history of the world. I would just say the most prosperous society in the history of the world. You can get McDonald's anytime you want. I read something funny uh, where it was like a guy uh, coming from the past, I think, and then he saw, I can't even remember it. We'll move on. But long story short is, let me, let me replace that story with a better story. 
One of our bishops came here, and I've told this story many times, but it always impacts me, from Africa. And he said, I really pity you people in the United States of America. And it's like, why? You know, you, you, you celebrate under a tree. You know, you don't even have a building to worship under. And he said, I pity you because when you pray, give us this day our daily bread, you don't even mean it. We have to pray that. We have to pray, give us this daily bread. Otherwise, we don't eat. And we forget that all of our provision comes from the Lord. And we want to provide for ourselves. We want to go out and get our things rather than looking for God. What do you want in this situation? And of course, it's not just about food, right? Most of us have three square meals a day easily. And it's not something that you have to fight over or be tempted about. Maybe it's about hunger because you're lonely. And you need to connect with good brothers and sisters in the church. But you know what's easier? Uh, turning on Netflix and having your best friends uh, greet you in the theme song. You know, it's like there are ways that we try and fill our physical desires, our spiritual desires and cravings outside of the plan of God. And so I want to challenge you <clears throat> as we move from fear to trust that when you feel those things, don't go for the easy answer this Lent. Ask God what he wants you to do. Because man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. If you haven't heard the word of the Lord in your life, then you might be spiritually starving and you just don't know it. You can't live without the word of God in your life. I want to give one more challenge here. So it's go to confession this Lent. And my other challenge is read the Bible at some point during Lent. I, I gave myself a challenge because, man, it's so easy to go days without even opening up the Word of God. But I gave myself a challenge. I was like, you know, I'm just going to read the book of Romans this Lent, a chapter a day, which means I'll get through it a couple times, a little more than two times. And I will tell you, there's something about right now, this moment, and I believe this is for our whole church. You open that Bible, you pick a book to read, and just ask God to reveal something to you. I've been so encouraged on a level that I feel like my Bible study hasn't been in, in months, maybe years. I opened up the Bible and all of a sudden words were popping off the page and I was just being encouraged again and again. And I say all that, not that you have to have these ecstatic experiences every time you open the Bible. But if you feed yourself this Lent out of the Bible, then when the temptation comes, Jesus answered directly from Scripture. How did he know to respond to the temptation? Because he had scripture inside of him. I'll say one more thing about that. So I heard a pastor say this once. People would come up to him and say, man, why would I read the Bible? I don't even remember what I read yesterday. And the pastor said, well, I don't remember what I ate for breakfast yesterday, but it still fed me. There's something about just getting in the word and having it inside of you. There's a longing in our hearts to connect with the God of the universe. And that's one of the easiest ways that we can do that. Let's move on. Next temptation. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So this one's a really complicated temptation, in my opinion, because I think there's a lot of stuff going on. He takes him up to the holy city, has him stand on the highest point in the temple, right? And the temple is where the residence of God is. And he's the son of God. And basically the devil's kind of implying like, if you're the son of God, the temptation is implying, then you should be the head of everything. You should be the head of the worship of the Lord. You're the point. And we find out that he is. Jesus is the point. 
All of the law and the prophets pointed to Jesus. But then he says, or the temptation says, well, in Scripture, it says, he will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So throw yourself off. You'll be fine. But the subtlety in here is a couple things that are happening. First of all, the Scripture is being twisted. Because although there are many promises in scriptures where God says that he will defend us and protect us, one of the most famous is like in Psalm 91, a thousand will fall at your left and 10,000 at your right, but it shall not come near you. He's twisting the scriptures because he's saying, right, that you will not strike your foot against a stone. He's implying in this temptation that God will keep us from all harm. And that's never been one of the promises of God. Because do you know what? Pain is not your enemy. And actually, the things that we go through in our life, the suffering that we go through in our life, is actually something that God uses to create in us the hope and the character and the perseverance that he's creating. Now, let me say this. It's it's hard to walk this line because there is a promise where you can rely on God. He will rescue you. He will save you. He will heal you. He will protect you. But that doesn't mean, it's, it's, it's almost like uh, with my son Rowan in our house. There are hard edges. And some of them, we put little protectors on so he doesn't hurt himself. But we didn't wrap the whole place in bubble wrap. And so he runs around and he gets bumps and bruises and he hurts himself quite a lot. And it's fine because he's within a wider context of protection for us, right? We don't give him a knife to play with. But we allow him to go through his life and learn from his injuries. In fact, some of the arguments that Haley and I have had, not serious ones, but some that we talk about is like, I'm always saying like, yeah, like, let's let him climb the highest thing and push off the farthest thing. Because I want him to learn from his pain. I want him to grow. I want him to adventure. And I know that the little pain, the bumps and bruises are not his enemy. But I also don't let intruders come into our house and rifle through our stuff. I also know the people who are with him. I'm also supervising this situation. And so we are like Rowan. We run into the table and we hurt ourselves and we look at our parents and we say, what the heck? I thought you were supposed to protect me from all pain. And it's just not what we do as parents. We let them experience pain. And that's part of what God does in our life is, yeah, he, he has a hedge of protection. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you do not need to fear evil. Because ultimately, God will protect you and bring you through to eternal glory and happiness and joy like we have never known. But man, there are some bumps and bruises along the way. And he's willing to let us go through that. Part of that's because he gave us free will. And you know what? When you give a bunch of people free will, they're going to hurt each other. And he's not going to take that from us. But the promise of God is deeper than protection from all harm. The promise of God is redemption of all suffering. The promise of God is that in the end, all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. And even the most painful experience in your entire life, and I could list a few, will be transformed in the resurrection of life and glory. That no pain that you experience here will be unanswered in the joy of the Lord. That's kind of a hard one, and I don't want to go too long on this and just hang out here. But I want to say one more thing here. There's this thing with fathers and mothers. 
where mothers, their instinct is to nourish and protect, and it's a great instinct, and it's super crucial because when we're little babies, you know what? We are the most vulnerable creatures in the entire world. We need protection and nourishment. But you know what fathers are for? Fathers are also for sending out and preparing and training up. And that tension is meant to be there between the mother and the father. So when Haley's like, I don't think we should let Rowan do that. And I'm like, yeah, let's push him out there. That tension helps find that balance between the protection he needs and the sending out and the training up. And there's a reason we call God our father and not our mother. Right? We call it the Father because He's training in you. He's building you up. He's sending you out. That's what He does. And we call the church our mother because the church nourishes, protects, builds us up so that God can empower us and send us out. Just an analogy to think about in a world that doesn't like the term father and mother or men and women. So let's keep that in mind. There's a reason for these things, it's built into the fabric of reality. There's a reason we call God our Father. So let's go on to this last, well, let's see Jesus' answer, right? What does he say? It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. I want to focus for a second on the underlying temptation. Underneath all of this, throughout every temptation that Jesus has, the thing that gets repeated, if you are the son of God. And this is the reason, this is the kernel in the middle of the temptations that I think makes it the most hopeful story in the gospel outside of, let's say, the resurrection. And the hope is that the promise of God for Jesus in baptism, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, that's the promise that we receive in our baptism. And that our baptism is actually a participation in the baptism of Jesus. And so when we experience the temptations that say suffering, when we go through difficulty and we are tempted to despair, when we come to a place where we have deep hungers and longings, physical, spiritual, emotional, that feel like they're unfulfilled, and we feel like God's not providing, or maybe there's not a bill that hasn't been paid, the temptation is to despair, to test God, to try and accomplish it on our own strength. The thing we have to remember is we are sons and daughters of God. He is well pleased in us. If there's anything you walk away from this sermon hearing, hear this. You are a beloved child of God, and he loves you, and he is well pleased with you. And I know there are people in this room who think that can't be true. There's something in you that says, but I'm not good enough. But I didn't do this, or I didn't read my Bible, or I didn't go to church, or I did this bad thing. I want you to know that, guess what? God loves you knowing all of that. He knows the sins you committed yesterday, today, and the sins you will commit till the day you die. And yet, even in the midst of that, in the just massive amounts of suffering and difficulty that we see in this world, he still loves you. He still sent his son to die for you. And so when you do enter these temptations, that's the one thing that the devil would love to convince you isn't true. He wants you to think that God doesn't love you or that God isn't able to save you and provide for you. But that is just bogus. So this Lent, as you press into these disciplines, whatever you did, if you gave up things for fasting, if you added discipline, if you didn't do anything at all, just remember that God loves you. That he wants to empower you to become like his son, Jesus, 
who overcame the temptations and eventually became, now he's enthroned in heavenly places and experiencing the glory of God. There's a promise in there for us. And so let's talk about this last temptation here. And then I have a little story and we'll close with that. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor and said, all this I will give you if you bow down and worship me. And basically, my interpretation of this temptation is it comes from what you see throughout Jesus' ministry. When Jesus heals people, all of a sudden the crowd wants to take him and make him king, right? We've seen that again and again. Jesus performs miracles. The crowd gets stirred up. They're like, this is our Messiah. Let's, let's go make him king. And every time there's a temptation for Jesus to use the power and influence that he has to save a lot of people to do something good, to save his people who are oppressed by the Romans, to be enthroned and to use worldly power and influence to limit suffering, to do all the good that Jesus is doing. Basically, what Jesus is tempted to do is to do it his own way. That's the temptation here. Bow down and worship me in our life looks like, well, you should do it your way. You're starting a project that you feel like God's called it to, and you don't even ask him to help you. You just go about and you just pick up the load and you try and do it on your own strength. God wants to be intimately involved in every aspect of our life. Don't fall into the temptation of trying to do it all on your own power and in your own way. And the other aspect of this temptation is Satan had no power to deliver in that promise. All this I will give you. If you just do this, I'll give it to you. I think maybe the clearest example in our real world that we see is in politics. We see again and again people enter into politics, and if you follow their career path, they just get sucked right in. If you just do it this way, then you can have your deal that you want. If you just compromise on your values, then you can get this. And it's easy in politics because we all have an opinion about that. We all see that. But we need to find a way to bring that into our own mind and say, where is it that I'm compromising on my values, doing it my own way rather than looking for God's way? And Jesus recognizes it and he says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So the problem here that we're seeing that Jesus identified is that's idolatry. When you try and do it your own way, when you serve your own needs and your own desires, Ultimately, it's idolatry because you should only worship the Lord your God. The other time Jesus responded this way that makes it very crystal clear is the same temptation is when Jesus is telling his disciples, the Son of Man will be lifted up and crucified in Jerusalem. And Peter goes, no way over my dead body. That's not happening. We're going to do it our way. We're going to take over. You're wrong, Jesus. You're the one that's going to be the king. You're the one that's going to have all the power and all the glory. You're going to save Israel. And Jesus recognizes it the same way, and he says, get behind me, Satan. It's the same response, because he knew it in the beginning of his ministry. When he was tempted in the desert, God allowed him to face that temptation, so that when Peter said that, Jesus already knew the answer. Get behind me, Satan. You're thinking of the things of man. Sorry, you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So you have to resist the temptation to do it your own way. Let me tell you one more story, and then we'll close with this, because I th- it, just, it, it highlights what I think God is doing in this Lent. There's this podcast that I listen to, and this guy who he owns some auto supply shops, right? 
And now he's doing a podcast, so it's kind of a weird transition, but you'll see what happens. He owns these auto supply stores, and he's a mechanic, you know, never graduated high school, kind of just a everyman guy, and he's doing his thing, but he's making his business work. And then God says, hey, you see that gas station that's closing down? I want you to buy that, and I want you to open up a gas station, and it'll expand your business, whatever. And at this point in his business, there was no way he could do that. There's just no way. He doesn't have the money. He doesn't have the, the manpower. He has, he's never run a gas station before. He's only done an auto supply store. What does he even do? But, you know, okay, fine, God, I'll do it. You know, it's like, okay, if God's telling me, then it'll help my business. So let's do it. So he goes through. He gets the loan. He gets it all worked out. The guy comes down on the price. This miraculous thing, he gets the gas station, and he gets it up and running. And for about a decade, his finances went from okay to awful. That gas station was a money suck. It was terrible. He couldn't get it to work. It wasn't ever making any profit ever. And it, it did everything that he was afraid of. It put a stress on his business. It did all this stuff. And for 10 years, he's like, what do I do? Finally, one day he's coming home. It's in the middle of winter. He's up in way northern California. So they got freezing temperatures and the lights are off at his house. And he's like, oh no, what's going on? My wife and kids are supposed to be here. And he walks in and he sees these blanket forts and the kids are all playing. There's some candles up and the wife jumps up. She goes, oh no, you're home early. And she runs around to the transformer and she turns on the electricity and the heat kicks on and the light comes on. And she says, I didn't want you to know, but we don't have enough money for the electric bill. So I've just been turning it off during the day and we've been playing, you know, making the kids think it's like we're camping out and it broke his heart. Could you imagine not being able to f- provide heat for your children? I mean, it's really relevant to us today as we look at the terrible situation in Texas where these people are suffering in the cold. And she was voluntarily taking that on and making the best of it because they just couldn't make ends meet. And he called out to God and he said, God, why would you have to make me buy the gas station? What's the point? And God said, well, you thought I was building a gas station. I'm building a man. God used that difficulty that he led him into to transform his life. And from that moment, things started to shift. And he stopped, he got out of that business, and now he runs an international ministry organization. One of the most popular people in ministry. He's so successful, he has everything he needs. But you know what? He couldn't have gotten there if he didn't have those 10 years where he followed God into the wilderness. And he experienced trial after trial. And finally, he broke down and said, God, what are you doing? But the point is, God's not looking to build what you think he's looking to build. Now, he'll call you to do things, and he may bless your business and bless your purposes, and God willing, let it be so. But when you encounter trials, let's not jump immediately to recrimination. Let's not accuse God. God, why did you leave me here? Instead, let's ask God, God, what are you doing? Open my eyes to see what you're doing. Because I promise you, it's better than you can know. And he's so much more concerned with building you up than he is with all the other stuff that we stress about. Your life is in his hands. He loves you. You're his kid. He's going to bring you to the completion, right? The work that he's begun in you, he will bring to completion. So my hope this Lent is that the chains of doubt and deceit and despair would fall away as we lay our burdens at the foot of the cross. Lent is a march towards death that we may have life. And God wants us to know his love. He wants to draw us near and he wants to fulfill his purposes in us.
Amen? Believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead in the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us pray for the church and for the world. Father, we pray for your holy Catholic Church that we all may be one. Grant that every member of the church may truly and humbly serve you. That your name may be glorified by all people. We pray for all bishops, priests, and deacons that they may be faithful ministers of your word and sacrament. We pray for all who govern and hold authority in the nations of the world. That there may be justice and peace on the earth. Give us grace to do your will in all that we undertake. That our works may find favor in your sight. Have compassion on those who suffer from any grief or trouble. That they may be delivered from their distress. Give to the departed eternal rest. That light perpetual shine upon them. We praise you for your saints who have entered into joy. O Lord our God, accept the fervent prayers of your people in the multitude of your mercies. Look with compassion upon us and all who turn to you for help. For you're gracious, O lover of souls, and to you we give glory. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Peace of the Lord be always with you. With, with your spirit. Turn and greet your neighbor with the peace. Awesome words. Awesome words. That's really great words. The Lord be with you. The Lord be with you. All right, we have just a couple announcements. Uh, We just had an awesome pancake supper this past uh, Tuesday night. I heard awesome things about it. Thank you to all 
who contributed to that, especially Michael House, our fearless uh, pancake leader. Uh, it was a great time was had by all. And then we had an awesome Ash Wednesday service as well as we launched into Lent. And then we have stuff coming up in Lent. Uh, at the very least, oh, I have one more remembrance. We also had an awesome men's meeting yesterday. So it's just been a great week for church. Let me just say that. But we do have another men's meeting on the calendar for March 20th. And that's going to be a working meeting. Uh, we have a couple of jobs. We're going to be moving some storage stuff around, some stuff that we identified yesterday. So that'll be awesome. And we hope to see you all there uh, March 20th, I believe at 10 a.m., but we might start a little earlier since we have some work to do. So I got that. Yeah. yeah. You know, Lent season, we're supposed to give up things, you know, sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Some people are giving up ice cream. <laughs> well, if you're an ice cream addict, yeah, that could be hard to do. And, you know, you don't say hallelujahs during the Eucharistic prayer. True. Of course, there's no smiling inside the church. <laughs> Just stuff like that. <laughs> I messed that up. I, no, I really encourage you to really press in. It's a wonderful season uh, just for that. Mm-hmm. And it ends with the great hallelujah and uh, the Easter celebration. So t- take the time and really press in to your own personal relationship with the living God. Amen. Let's pray for our offering. <clears throat> As we prepare to receive the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist, let us respond to God's word by engaging with him in musical worship and presenting to God our tithes and offerings out of that which God has given to us. Together, through Christ, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. But do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God.
So do not pass me by I'm breaking through the boundaries I will not be Seldom is political life a reason for any involvement with the Eucharist, but because of the political climate, I want to hold this Eucharist up to the unborn children. We welcome all baptized believers to receive the body and blood of Christ. This is the table of the Lord, and it's made ready for those who love him and for those who want loving more. Come, you who have much faith. Come, you who have little. You who have been here often and you who haven't been here long. You who have tried to follow. You who failed. You come. Because it's the Lord invites you. It's his table. He wishes those who would want him would meet him right here. Come to this table. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit, lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord our God. Father, all-powerful and ever-living God, we do well always and everywhere to give thanks through Jesus Christ our Lord. For you've given your children a sacred time for the renewing and purifying of their hearts, that freed from the disordered affections they may so deal with the things of this passing world, as to hold rather to the things of event, of eternal endure. And so with the angels and the saints, we praise you as without end we acclaim. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. 
Lord, you're holy indeed, the fountain of all holiness. Let your Holy Spirit come upon these gifts to make them holy, so they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before he's giving up to death, a death he freely accepted, he took bread, he gave you thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When supper ended, he took the cup again. He gave thanks and praise. He gave it to them and he said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Let us proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread, this saving cup. We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and to serve you. May all of us who share in the body and blood of Jesus be brought together in unity by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world. Make us grow in love, together with our patriarch, Craig, and all of the clergy. Remember especially those sick, infirmed in spirit, soul, or body. We hold up Connie and Susan and Carl and Serena, Naomi, Rachel, Radia, Kyle, Sonia, Maria, Sandra, Karen, Tammy, Kyla, the Majeski family, the Jones family, Elizabeth, Jason, Thomas, Morgan, the Marines and sailors at Camp Pendleton. Draw our hearts to remember the poor and the broken, and as we receive the body and blood of Jesus, may we be transformed to become the body of Christ to the world. Have mercy on us all, make us worthy to share eternal life with the apostles and the martyrs and all the saints who have gone before us. May we praise you in union with them and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ, by him and with him and in him in the unity of the Holy Spirit. All honor and glory is yours. Almighty God and Father, now and forever. Amen. Jesus taught us to call God our Father, and we have courage to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Grant us thy peace. The gifts of God for the people of God, take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on them in your heart with thanksgiving. Blessed are those who are called to his supper.
Let us pray. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in the battle and be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, a prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who wander through the world seeking the ruin of our souls. As you go from this place, remember the gospel. God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. He loves us. He's forgiven us. He's not mad at us. And he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you. Be may with you always. Amen. Pursue your